Unlimited Influence Podcast, Episode 66. The biggest benefit from having your own business is freedom, the freedom to work when you choose, to create the income you want and to create your perfect life. The reality is it's not always easy though, so it's important to surround yourself with the right people. Join us in my free Facebook community at The Freedom Fast Track and surround yourself with a network of business owners and entrepreneurs who are out there walking their talk just like you. The Freedom Fast Track, because it's time to take your business and life to a whole new level. Hey everyone, Samantha Riley here and I'm super excited to be welcoming today's featured guest, Akshay Nanavati. Akshay is a Marine Corps veteran, adventurer and entrepreneur. After overcoming drug addiction, a diagnosis of PTSD after the war in Iraq and a battle with alcohol that pushed him to the brink of suicide, Akshay has since explored the most hostile environments of the planet and built a global business helping people live limitless lifestyles. His work funds his non-profit, the Fivana Foundation. Combining years of research in neuroscience and psychology with his life experience, Akshay wrote the book Fearvana, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, wealth, and happiness. Welcome to the show, Akshay. Thank you so much for having me, Samantha. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I am so, so, so excited about where this conversation could possibly lead today, (laughs) Um, especially after I read that your book has been endorsed by the Dalai Lama, Jack Canfield, (laughs) Seth Godin. I mean, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was uh, just a huge honor and a blessing. So I was just humbled by all of those. Just fantastic. Well, before we get into what I'm sure is going to be an amazing conversation, I'd love you to pull back the curtain just a little and give us a sneak peek into who you are and what makes you tick. Sure. So, um, you know, you read my bio and since getting out of the Marines, I mean, I always mention that because it's a big part of who I am and the thing I'm very proud of in my in my life. And it's really shaped the person I've become today. Since coming back from Iraq, I had some struggles and some low moments. Uh, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I struggled with alcoholism that pushed me to the brink of suicide. And hitting those low moments taught me a lot about life, about myself, and they actually, what drove me to this research in neuroscience and psychology and spirituality, and ultimately to this concept of fearvana that I've come to learn, and uh, not just through my own life experience, but also through research and interviewing many people, is this pathway that I believe to, uh, yeah, to health, wealth, and happiness, and ultimately just that spiritual peace that we are all, I think, seeking at some point or another. Mm, totally. We are. I think, well, I th- you know, from most people that I speak to, and, and it's probably the circles that we're in as well, you know, entrepreneurs are, you know, seeking that. They're always wanting to step up and play a bigger game. So, of course. Oh, wow. Where do we even start? When did you, when did you actually leave the Marines? Because I'm guessing that was a very big part of your life and the foundation mm-hmm. for everything that you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got back from Iraq itself in 2008. And uh, when I got back, as I mentioned, I, I was struggling. And so I was actually trying to volunteer to go back to uh, to war, to Iraq or to Afghanistan. And all of that didn't work out the way I would have liked. And so I went to my master's school where I was still in the Marine Reserves at the time. And I did my master's in journalism. And at the time, I met my now wife. And that's what kind of spurred the decision to get out. And after uh, Iraq, I was kind of no longer ready to spend the rest of my career in the Marines because at one point I wanted to go career military. And I decided that, you know, if I'm going to put my life on the line, it's going to be on my terms, <laughs> not just because, you know, the politics of going to war, but also on the ground itself, you have to follow orders. Hmm. So I got out in about 2010, uh, it's, which is about the same time that I finished my master's degree as well. And that's when I then dove into a corporate job for about a year and a half. <laughs> wow. Was- Marines to corporate. How did that work out for you? 
That was not the best. <laughs> I, I actually wanted to be a mountain bum, to be honest with you, in the Himalayas for a little while. <laughs> I wanted to go just climbing and live. I mean, I, the, the thing what I've learned in the Marines is that there's a kind of peace in when you when you have an adversity uh, to a worthy struggle to pursue. So in Iraq, for example, you're in this war and as crazy as it may sound, that life is very simple, though, and it's very peaceful when all you have to worry about is living and dying. I mean, you wake up, you go to your missions, you know what you, you know, you know, it's very clear. In the complexity of this world, it's very confusing. There's bills to pay, there's people to meet, there's what do I do with my days, you have to organize your own structure. And the marine structure is given to you, and, um, and it's imposed upon, as it is in any of those environments that are really hostile, like climbing a mountain, skiing across an ice cap. So that's what I was seeking. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when I met my wife, that was uh, that was kind of off the cards. I was not going to drag her to be a mountain bum with me in the Himalayas. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, uh, you know, I, I got married, had to sort of uh, show her family that I'm worthy, <laughs> because that was actually a whole Bollywood drama kind of thing in its own right. She's the first person in her entire family to not uh, have an arranged marriage. So there was a big drama to kind of get have her family even agree to meet me and my own family. So I wanted to sort of prove myself, and uh, and I, I don't think they would have appreciated if I was a mountain bum. So I got the corporate job, and I hated it. I mean, I knew immediately that this was not for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fact, I knew on the day that I got the job what day I would quit. I had signed up with the intention of quitting in exactly a year and a half. <laughs> wow. Well, congratulations for sticking it out for your, a year and a half because <laughs> I know people that have gone and got corporate jobs and have lasted not even a week. So that's oh. 18 months is a long time when you really hate <laughs> what you're doing. Yeah. It, and it, I was ready to quit all the time. I would keep calling my wife while she's like battling her family to meet me. And I would be like, I think I'm going to go quit to ski across Svalbard or to go take, you know, war photography in Darfur or something. And she's like, for the love of God, just please ride this out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And I guess you're, you know, trying to fight your family for me. <laughs> yeah. What you do for love, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So can you take us on the journey? Because I'm thinking just from what you've said there, that there's going to be like a big sort of transition period there. And I don't know, was it around the 2008, 2010 mark where you did overcome the drug addiction, the PTSD? Can you, can you explain how that all sort of looked and how that panned out? Sure. So the drug addiction was actually in high school. Uh, it was before I joined the Marines. I struggled with drugs for about, yeah, about a year and a half as well and uh, lost two friends to that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So I too was headed down that path. I was pretty heavily immersed in that world. And I I got out when I, I mean, I got out of that world uh, and that's when I joined the Marines. And it was actually interesting how I got out. I saw the movie Black Hawk Down. Have you ever seen it? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So, you know, it's a powerful war movie and it's based on a true story as well. And that just triggered something in me that what kind of courage does it take to do something, to sacrifice your life for a fellow human being? And immediately after the movie, I read the book. I started reading books on military and combat and uh, decided to stop doing drugs and join the Marines. So that's what got me out of drugs and into the Marines. And then, you know, after serving in Iraq, after coming back in the corporate job, it was actually years later after Iraq that I hit low moments with – with my PTSD and everything, you know, I was, I didn't, I didn't go to try to get treated. I was just kind of, you know, I was going about in life. I had this corporate job. And I, like I said, I knew I, what day I would quit because the day I signed up for the job, I had also uh, signed up for an expedition to ski across Greenland, which was a year and a half later. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I would quit and then go ski across the ice cap. And at the same time, while I had the job, I was working on building a business. Now with the corporate job, again, to some degree structures imposed upon you. 
So I think when I finished, uh, you know, finished the job, finished Greenland, like any, like coming back from Iraq, I had struggles readjusting to life after Greenland because again, it was this adverse environment where life is simple to some degree. And so I think it was maybe a year after that, that I really hit these low moments and, uh, struggled with drinking because I'd always been, you know, drinking, but I never really saw it as a problem mm-hmm. until I hit this moment of where I just woke up after a five day binge and just thought, you know, what's the point of going on? Because this cycle of sobering up and binging for five days would never end. And uh, when that thought itself hit me, that's when I really said, okay, something needed to change. I can't, I mean, it was shocked that I would even think that, you know? Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. There's something that, that was coming up, you know, while you were, ju- it's actually sort of since we first started talking and right back at the beginning, you were talking about the simplicity of of your life in the Marines where, you know, you didn't have all of these millions of things going on in your day. And this is, it was just yesterday, my son was actually watching a movie called Coach Carter. And I don't know if you'd seen it. I've never heard of it. And I was trying to work and I got so sucked into this movie because I found it so intriguing about these, you know, high school students that were all exactly as you say, headed down this, this path of drug addiction and breaking the law and, and possibly death and suicide and all of these things. And, you know, just watching that and listening to you speaking, it's quite strange that as entrepreneurs, we get out of these corporate jobs or out of these, these lives because we don't like the structure and we want the freedom. But what I'm hearing you say, and all of a sudden what's coming up is that there's actually peace and simplicity in having that structure. So I'd love you to share your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, again, after coming out of those low moments and really when I was building my business, I realized that the the gift of that structure, the gift of the simplicity, because, you know, I found that war grants us the ability to practice courage. And so does skiing across an ice cap. And and I needed to replicate that in my own life in, in, to, in order to build a business. Hmm. And that's what I that's what I did. It wasn't by any means perfect initially. I've definitely gotten a lot better about it through the years to recreate systems, to recreate structure that allow me to constantly test myself, that allow me to experience courage because there's gift in adversity. You know, I think that, I mean, throughout my whole life, whether it be through drugs or overcoming drugs, overcoming PTSD, overcoming alcoholism, that I I found my salvation through suffering, through finding a worthy struggle. And often it was exercise, but it was even writing my book, for example, was a terrifying experience. It was, uh, (laughs) it was scary. It was really hard. Mm. And so seeking out this worthy struggle, really replicating the experiences of war, replicating the adversity, replicating the structure. And I think there's, that's, that's the gift of, uh, of, of adversity is it grants a level of structure because, is again, when you're skiing across Greenland, for example, you follow a very clear structure. You wake up every day, you ski for one hour to one hour, 10 minutes, you stop for water and you do this for about eight, nine shifts and you have a very clear mission, right? And because when you, when you are in an adverse environment, you don't have the luxury to ponder life's purpose and all that kind of things, right? Mm. You have a mission to follow and you do it. So it, it reduces the complexities of life to that immediate mission. And that's what I started doing in my business as well. Now, obviously, being at home, you have the luxury to ponder those greater questions. But looking at the grander vision and then simplifying it into smaller targets and, uh, and creating a structure that was imposed upon me by the military and now self-imposed. <laughs> yeah. Wow, structure to experience courage. That is just almost mind-blowing, really. <laughs> it really is because just, you know, for people that are that are sitting at home and, you know, maybe in their home office and and really struggling with the day-to-day and feeling mm-hmm. a bit like they're, they're possibly feeling like they're failing, that maybe 
that what they were heading towards, which was actually the freedom of not having the structure, maybe they need to re, re you know, go back and relook at that and put some structure in the day, put some structure and, and systems in place so that they can experience the, the wins in their business and, and, as you say, experience courage. I mean, that's just amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And that's what it's about because you also want to, in, when, when you're setting up these structures, you want to create the space in that structure to exercise your willpower and exercise courage. So for example, within a structure, I'll plan like, again, writing a book or running X distance or working out. And often these workouts are fairly miserable or when I plan a long run, they're hard. So it's, it's, it's kind of this paradoxical thing of, in, of making willpower itself a habit. And that's the value of, of kind of finding this right balance of, of uh, structure to remove thinking, to remove that decision fatigue and that cognitive, that wasting your cognitive energy, but exercising it in, in, a, in a structured format for when it is needed, as opposed to just wasting it on the constant complexities of the day. Mm. Oh, beautiful. That just makes me feel peaceful just thinking about that. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So you were in corporate for 18 months. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you were extremely ha- happy to get out of that that environment. Did you step from your corporate position straight into your business? Did you know what you were going to do when you left corporate? Was it something you'd planned? Can you tell us about that? Sure. I had started when I was in court when I was in the corporate environment. I got went into a coach training program, so I knew I wanted to delve into this personal development industry. Uh, that was, I mean, because when I when again when I got out of the Marines and started doing, or even when I got out of drugs and joined the Marines, I started pursuing. Uh, these other pursuits to engage my limitations, to test my limitations, like climbing mountains, uh, going skydiving, rock climbing, cave diving. I mean, you name it. So that that drove me into this personal development industry of, okay, how do we become peak performers? How do we enhance our mind, our body, our spirit? And so I knew that's where I headed. And so I went into coach training. I started to kind of set up the platform to engage my business, uh, to build a business after I got out. And the very first thing when I got out was to ski across the uh, ski across the ice cap. I spent a lot of my savings. I spent $15,000 to go <laughs> ski across Greenland for a month and, uh, and then came back and started to build a business. And obviously it had plenty of struggles in that process, but, uh, but I knew at least where I was going with it. And, uh, and I knew eventually that I write my book. The book took a little longer than, a lot longer than planned, but it was, it was the mission to write a book as well, because actually I, I worked with Jack Canfield, who's the author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, mm. an amazing, amazing human being. And I asked him once, if you could go back in your career and do one thing differently, what would it be? And he said, I would have written my book sooner. Mm. So that kind of inspired me to say, okay, let me, uh, let me work on this. And I thought fear was a topic I had developed some expertise in. Uh, it was a topic that fascinated me. And so I could start the research in it. And it's also a topic that we all face. And it's kind of the, the a neuroscientist calls it the most primal emotion. Fear is the most primal emotion because our brain is always processing fear. Anytime we take a risk, anytime we enter any unknown environment, the brain is asking, is this thing going to kill me or not? So fear is a very essential emotion for us to master. Mm-hmm. And that's what drove me into this work and into, uh, and into where I am today. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huge topic, isn't it? Huge topic. Mm-hmm. When you first went into your, into your business, into your coaching business, after you got back from Greenland, what were some of the challenges that you faced at that time that were Maybe, maybe different to what you'd experienced before, maybe the same. And how did you overcome them? 
the initial part was just again it was m- much more confusing so i don't i didn't have the structures that i do now so it was constantly okay what do i do how do i go about this do i uh you know do i do facebook advertising do i mm. uh do i do i do guest blogging you know and all these structures to build traffic for the for the website and so it was a lot more confusing to figure out this the right path and eventually and so that's what you know that's what drove me to some struggles as, as well and just okay this is miserable i'm not sure if i enjoy this but at that point i didn't have a job and I knew I certainly didn't want to go back to a job. So it was the one thing that I had developed through the Marines and these adventures was at least some sort of ability to suffer with the smile, you know, to to engage struggle and pursue it uh, with with some degree of courage. So I kept just hustling. I mean, initially getting the first few clients was just a matter of going to networking events, you know, meeting anybody, everybody, finding anybody and really pitching myself, so to speak, and seeing how I could serve. But But I also learned through that process that, if you come from that place of desperation, and you might be in that place when you're starting out, but it's very important to get out of that because I would I would get a lot of no's initially, and I'm like, okay, look, something I'm doing is not working, and uh, and then I focused on the idea that okay, I know I can make an impact in people's lives, and when you came from that place, it suddenly it just I think it just shifts on a, a being on a in, in who you are on a spiritual level, and people I think can sense that you know on a very mm-hmm. subconscious level, and that's what led to getting clients initially. And, uh, and then, you know, that sort of started snowballing as I got more media exposure and, and built a, built a little bit of a platform online. And initially I didn't want to expand into sort of digital information products and everything like that. I was just happy with where, where it was going. I wasn't looking for the big bucks then because I was just, to me, it was not about the amount of money I had. It was more about the lifestyle. And if I could create the lifestyle I wanted to live, then so be it, right? It didn't matter what the numbers were. So, uh, I got to a point where I was happy and I was able to still travel with my wife. You know, we went yachting in the Caribbean, traveling to South Africa and all those kind of things. So, and still, you know, have enough to, to be, to create a, a meaningful lifestyle. Yeah. Beautiful. So you did talk about the intention, the intention, and, and I've seen so many articles and talked to so many people about this, you know, the intention of, oh my goodness, I need the money. I need to pay the next bill. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. your brain just goes there, right? It's like, I need this, <laughs> this next client for the money. How did you, what was the, the moment where you not just understood that you needed to to change your intention from the money to to being of service, but where you consciously decided I need to change it. How did you get to that point, and how did you change it? I think when I got enough no's, and to be honest with you, I can't remember how many was, but <laughs> in, in, enough enough no's from potential clients. You know, I would go to networking. I would just we would schedule uh, sample sessions, kind of things, and I felt comfortable in my ability to serve. But I could, obviously was coming from this place of desperation. And when I got enough no's, it hit me that something wasn't working. And I'd constantly learned, you know, in the Marines too, that that you find the problem, fix the problem. That's essentially what, like, life boils down to these two elements of growth. It's find the problem, fix the problem, and find what's working and do more of it. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I started looking at. Okay, what's the problem? How do I fix it? And it was the same thing I realized again in the Marines. As I said, it was a big part of who I am. So I've always looked at that as a way to shape my future, my my path. And in the Marines, when you go to Iraq, you know, like, again, Iraq was a struggle, as you can imagine. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, actually, I can't uh, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely tough. And the first month of the half of the war, I was miserable again. It was, it, uh, it was just, you know, I was, I hated the missions. I hated everything about the war. And 
out there, I started delving into the minds of philosophers and psychologists, reading Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. And, you know, in the book, he talks about as a psychiatrist in the Holocaust, how he could find meaning in suffering. And so Mm. that's what I started doing. And I realized out there that it wasn't about me. And that's what the whole experience in the Marines is. It's not about you. It's about your men. It's about your mission. It's the people you're there to serve. You know, the Iraqis had gone through so much suffering. We were there to help these people. So again, looking back on my Marines, I realized I need to translate that same mentality to my business. I'm once again in a state of suffering, once again in a state of struggle, and I'm you know, delving into my own mind about it just as I was in the first month and a half in Iraq and sort of self-pity and whining, complaining. And in Iraq, I realized I couldn't change my, envi- my actions or my environment. I was going to be in war for another five and a half months, but I could change my attitude. And in this case, I had the luxury to change my actions and my attitude. So sort of translating that experience to my business uh, experience and saying, you know what, let it be about service. And and I'm going to be in the, in as we say in the Marines, in the suck. <laughs> you know, it's going to be miserable. But I had learned to get comfortable in that misery and just say, okay, I can just step outside of that misery. It's, it's part of the game. It's part of the journey of life. It's not like that changes. You know, I still go through low moments. I still go through struggles, but they're just different struggles. Mm. And uh, uh, and just smiling through that and com- continuing to say that this is about impact, because that's what ultimately I think, you know, that's what entrepreneurs are. We're trying to solve a problem and help people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and for most of us, it's, you know, it's we want to create such a big impact. We want to create, you know, we want to leave our legacy. I, I believe that entrepreneurs do what they do because they really do have a heart of gold. They've got, you know, a heart mm-hmm. of service. So yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Tapping into that is is vital to be able to get out there and and do the best that can be done. Absolutely, it's uh, getting out of your own head sometimes. <laughs> yep, <laughs> and I'm sure we've all been there and and still go there regularly. <laughs> still go there. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So, can you tell us now, Akshay, what is your business and who specifically do you serve? So right now, it's coaching. Right as at this moment, but as with the book launch coming up, I'm focusing more on digital information products to create to bring it more passive to uh, also on public speaking. So with the coaching, it was initially it was entrepreneurs and people looking to become entrepreneurs, and that slowly started expanding into a wider realm as I got more media exposure through about my story, and I started to serve more people really in a low moment, struggling with depression, anxiety, things like that, because they had heard about me and my PTSD and how I overcame that. So. It started to become a little bit more organic and really whoever, you know, I mean, like they say in marketing, right, you niche down and then as your brand grows, it expands out. You can serve a wider, wider group. Mm. So it, it kind of grew into a wider group. And then when I worked on my book, I intentionally somewhat lost, essentially uh, sort of down, downgraded the, 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 uh, the, the coaching business, the one-on-one coaching, mm-hmm. because I just wanted to really zone in. And part of it was also through the writing process is when I delved into the, some of the alcohol struggles. So to some degree, I think I wasn't. I wasn't in creating the right energy to bring new clients my way as well. Yes. And to some degree, I sort of, I sort of self-sabotage myself through that. But I also, like, again, wanted to because I wanted to focus on my book. And at that point, I didn't need the money. So I was, you know, I was riding on what I had to just live. And I wasn't looking to grow because I knew that I would grow. So it's really, again, finding, okay, what points do I need to grow? What points do you need to expand? And now I've reached that point. So now it's about the digital products, the speaking, and this idea of Fearvana is going to expand into many different realms. So for example, I'm building a Fearvana Academy, which is going to be an educational institution for the younger generation to teach them these kind of life skills that they don't learn in school. You know, mm. we're learning resilience, learning communication skills, learning how to make habits, uh, how to build self-control, these essential life skills that they're not taught in school. And so th- this, so that's the one thing that I'm building out after the book is the academy as well. So we're kind of going to expand into all these different areas as we, as this 
this uh, concept of Fearvana grows. Mm, I love it. And Fearvana is such a, a super catchy name for something <laughs> that a lot of us don't like really talking about, but, you know, as yeah. you said, is so prevalent in our lives. Tell us about the book journey. Was it? Did it take you a while to work towards that? You said that you were working with Jack Canfield and that you knew that you wanted to write a book. You know, did you just wake up one day and go, I know what it is, I know exactly what I'm going to write about? Or, you know, was it a journey of, of, of flow and, and moving into different directions? It was. I initially, you know, wasn't sure. I knew that, I guess, so when I heard that from Jack, I wanted to, I wanted to write a book, but I wasn't sure what topic to pursue, whether to make it a business topic. And I knew that whatever topic I would pursue, I would research, you know, so, but I, I felt like I personally had enough personal credibility in the fear space. So that's what drove me to, okay, let me write something in this, in this, on this idea. And my wife actually coined the term fearvana. I wish I could take credit for it, <laughs> but she, she came up with that. And when she did, I was like, that's gold. That became like sort of what the brand is going to be in multiple areas. So, okay. So then I, we came up with it and okay, that's what we're going to call this book. That's what we're going to work on it. And that process was demanding to say the least. I mean, it took a lot longer than I would have liked. Part of it was the research. I mean, I'm, I can't, I must have read a hundred plus books in just as research. Part of it was procrastination. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> part, of it, part of it was just, it engaged a lot of my own demons. I actually sobered up finally in the process of writing the book because in the book, I share a lot of my own stories, my own stories of my struggles. And when you start thinking about those, it brings up new stuff, you know, mm. some of the survivor, the survivor's guilt that I felt. And I also came to learn through the book process that I often sought out struggle to run away from myself. So even though I may be skiing across Greenland, climbing mountains, these are quote unquote positive things that people invited me to speak for, you know, here in, here in New Jersey, Verizon invited me to speak because of that. So these were things that I was kind of, that was positive, but I discovered that even pursuing something positive can be a means of avoidance if you're not careful. It's obviously a much better means of avoidance than alcohol, but I think in order to really advance to that next stage of personal evolution, you got to be present and become aware of when you're doing that. So it was through the process of writing that I figured out I was still running away from myself. And so I started to engage stillness more. And it's still something I'm working on. Stillness continues to be my greatest fear. Uh, it's hard, but it's, uh, it's, it's something I'm now working on. And so I think it took me about three years, though, collectively to write the book. Part of it was just a lot of edits because it took so long. I mean, when, you know, the person you are, the knowledge you have changes in, in if you don't, if you, you know, if, for two years down the road. So, I mean, I also must have trashed about 100,000 words worth of work to get to where it is now. That mm. first finished version was garbage, or at least in my self-critical voice, <laughs> it was garbage uh, <laughs> compared to what I now have. And now I have something I'm truly proud of. That's awesome. And I, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert, or maybe it was Danielle Laporte, but I'm pretty sure it was Elizabeth Gilbert was saying that, you know, when people write their first book, they say out loud that it's, you know, because they want to serve other people. But that first book is actually about sort of working through your own things and, and getting them off. And it, it sounds like that you certainly had that, that experience which, you know, you can let go of those things and then that's what helps you to move forward to create what you're creating. Very much so. I mean, uh, it was a huge learning process. And I think the best way to learn any topic is to teach it as well. So combining all this knowledge into a structured format for a book helped enhance my own learnings. You know? Yeah, totally. When I was a dance teacher, if I had, I used to teach little children dancing and if they were struggling to learn a step or a phrase or whatever it was, I actually used mm -hmm. to tell them to go home and teach it to their parents. 
because having to teach it to someone that that didn't know the the skill or the art or the steps or the you know the lingo or whatever it was yeah. helped cement it in in themselves so that they could they could learn it so I yeah think, that's yeah. awesome love that yeah <laughs> that's great so amazing you were endorsed your book's been endorsed by the Dalai Lama Jack Hanfield <laughs> Seth Godin and a myriad of other big name people tell us how that came about because this to me is just so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, you know, I wanted, I wanted noteworthy endorsements. Uh, I wanted, and I, it was a good feedback for me also to know that people actually like the book, especially people with a lot of credibility and who've, you know, read a lot and, and masters in their own art. Of the best strategy that actually worked wonders for this. So some of them were fairly warm, like Jack, I had done a lot of work with. I had done many of his seminars, I had volunteered at his seminars. So it was sort of a quote unquote warm lead by that point. Mm -hmm. But many of the cold leads, including the Dalai Lama, which was a pure cold. I didn't have a connect there. It was shooting videos was by far the most effective strategy that led me to many uh, of these connections with these, uh, as they say, these influencers to help them uh, to, to get these endorsements for my book. I would shoot a, a personal video for them, telling them who I am, being, you know, my journey, what I'm looking to do about this concept of Firvana, how we're giving away all the proceeds of the book to charity. And that's a very genuine thing. It wasn't just sort of a fake thing to try to get you know endorsements, mm -hmm. but sharing everything about it. And when you do a video, it's so much more personal than email, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's email is words on paper. It doesn't convey your emotions, your passion, your enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. So I shot videos for tons of these people. And of course, I got no's. But uh, but I got many yeses, and uh, and that's with the Dalai Lama too. It was through reaching out to his office. I mean, that must have taken about four months of healthy persistence of shooting a video for him, of writing a letter for him, communicating with the gentleman in his office, and that took about three four people to get to that one person, and finally just really being vulnerable and about who my what my struggles had led me to Firvana and everything that I'm doing, and finally this one gentleman after about I think yeah three four months said that you know considering who you are and your genuine desire to serve, I will press your case to His Holiness and. Two weeks after that, I got a beautiful letter from him, which was the forward for my book and, uh, and his signature. So we're going to kind of frame it up in the house because it's just a huge honor, as you mm, can imagine. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, that was awesome. And, I, and with the Dalai Lama, actually, I didn't even ask for a forward. I just wanted a, an endorsement. So I was blessed to get something more. <laughs> yeah, but there's not many people that would consistently, you know, for four months, keep their eye on the prize there. So mm -hmm. that in itself is a lesson that, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, the biggest thing when it comes to that following up is getting out of your own head, right? Because we all do this mind reading that they're not reaching out because because they don't like my stuff or it's something to do with me and, you know, I'm it's not going to happen. But if you get out of your own head and just say that, okay, I don't know what's going on in the other person's head and just following up. So often it'll be just a very warm follow-up saying something, you know, I'm sure you're really busy. Uh, so and just in case email might have disappeared in your inbox, I just wanted to touch base again and, uh, and see, you know, get your thoughts on this. So it can be something as simple and soft as that you know mm. and when you do that it gets you out of your own head and that strategy being so effective in fact just a week ago I got on TV in Chicago and I had been pitching this gentleman for a few weeks uh, the producer of ABC in Chicago and he had you know I hadn't I we heard back from him once and then I hadn't heard back so again in my own head these thoughts came up oh he's not interested this they might think this is you know silly or whatever and, and then I, I was, oh, see, I'm, I've gotten to the point where now I'm aware of the thoughts, but I don't have to listen to them. You know what I mean? Mm. So they still show up, but I don't, I say, okay, these, I know these are just silly thoughts. Let me take action anyway. So I, I called the gentleman and he was just like, oh, sorry, I had gotten sick for a little while, but yeah, we'd love to have you on. And I got on an ABC in Chicago, you know, yeah. purely because I got out of my own head and just 
instead of saying this is what he's thinking, I just said, I don't know what he's thinking. Mm. <laughs> Which is funny, right? Because we do. We think, oh, you know, they don't want anything to do with us. But in exactly. actual fact, people are so busy. They haven't even noticed, you know. Everyone's as busy as we are. And, um, you know, putting putting that thought aside is is very worthwhile to be able yeah. to get through those mind games that we're having. Yeah, especially when you're reaching the influencers. You know, many of the guys who endorsed my book, it was the same thing. I wouldn't hear back for weeks, and then part of me would think that they, oh, they're not interested, they're ignoring me, or they blocked me or something, right? <laughs> and then you follow up, and they'd be like, oh, sure, you know? And then especially sometimes if I hadn't heard back in a while, I'd follow up with a video, and they'd be like, yeah, we'd love to, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Akshay, how, what is the best way, um, well, A, for my listeners to stay connected with you, and also... Um, how do we get our hands on on your book, Fearvana? It's fearvana.com. That we're actually until the pre-launch, so this whole phase, we're giving away the book for free, uh, just, just asking you to cover the cost of shipping so we can make an impact, try to get the book in more hands. And, uh, and yeah, and you can also reach me through fearvana.com as well. There's a contact button on there. And I try to be a very, or my goal here is to be a very reachable and connectable uh, author. So I genuinely want to serve. I want to uh, help anybody. Any questions, always feel free to reach out. I'm, uh, I will respond to all the emails I get. Mm, love that. I love that. <laughs> and I, everyone do reach out. It's it's a bit funny sometimes sitting behind the microphone and talking and then hearing crickets and tumbleweeds. Reach out and say <laughs> hi. <laughs> yeah, please do. I love hearing from, you know, everybody and everybody. And I know we all go through our struggles and it's not easy when you're in it, so get that support. It makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Akshay, you've shared so much value today, so many stories, and it's been absolutely amazing to chat with you. What you know, If there was one thing that was an overarching message that people would take away from listening to our time together today, what would it be? <laughs> the single most important thing uh, that I've come to learn, the most important skill to develop if you want to be successful in any way, and regardless of how you define that word, is to develop a positive relationship to suffering. If you find that worthy struggle, if you are able to find it, you smile in the face of it, you'll be able to handle struggle when, when it comes your way either. So choose that worthy struggle and it'll give you the strength to smile when struggle chooses you, you know, when life punches you in the face. So, and that's just a matter of practice. You know, I wasn't always this person who could write books or jump and climb mountains. I mean, when I was a child, I used to be scared of a Ferris wheel for crying out loud. <laughs> so it, you work your way up that ladder of risk, of that ladder of struggle, one small step at a time, and uh, and you'll be able to handle anything. Because whatever you're working towards, there will be obstacles. And if you can smile at those obstacles and keep striving forward, you'll accomplish anything. Akshay Nanavati, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. And thank you for, for sharing everything and having such a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Samantha. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you as well. And best of luck with your book launch. Thank you. Appreciate that. The biggest benefit from having your own business is freedom, the freedom to work when you choose, to create the income you want, and to create your perfect life. The reality is it's not always easy, though, so it's important to surround yourself with the right people. Join us in my free Facebook community at the Freedom Fast Track and surround yourself with a network of business owners and entrepreneurs who are out there walking their talk just like you. The Freedom Fast Track, because it's time to take your business and life to a whole new level. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unlimited Influence Podcast. You'll find the show notes over at theaccelerantgroup.com. It's your time to shine.